there's, there's, a, there's a real linking here because what we are what we're wanting to see is a church being built up. And as the church is being built up, we will see people growing in the fruit of the Spirit. And the means for people growing in the fruit of the Spirit is by the church serving one another with their spiritual gifts. And their spiritual gifts are given uniquely and wholly from the Holy Spirit for a particular purpose that he knows and he understands and he has his life. And so as we use these gifts in love, it's for the building up. And as we grow in the fruit of the Spirit, it should be as we grow. And as we grow, we should be manifesting more fruit of the Spirit. And so that sort of links with what's going on here, because Paul is, is developing this principle of pursuing love and building up the church. And what's the matrix to see if a church has been built up? Well, it's the church manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. There's no metric here, if you like, of saying, is this church a church that is prophetic? Is this church a church that is speaking in tongues? Is this a church that is a church of miracles? That is not the gauge of a growing church. The gauge of a growing church is the fruit of the Spirit. Are these brothers and sisters who are growing in love for one another? Is there peace here? Is there self-control here? And that's the, the, the measure of whether the church is growing and being built up. But the spiritual gifts link in. Because as we see here, the spiritual gifts are for the building up of the church. And so, as Paul goes on to verses 16 and then 20, 25, and we'll probably just be looking at uh, 6 through to 19 today, we'll see how it goes. But as he, as he goes on there, he's developing this principle. And, and the principle of pursuing love. And in pursuing love, we are seeing the church built up. And then he carries on using this comparison between tongues and prophecy. And at the same time, he, he develops a very, very clear principle over these next verses. And I want us to, to hear this, this principle, because this is going to run through and guide our thoughts. And that is, all communication in corporate worship, or all communication in our church services, must be clear. All communication in corporate worship, in our church services, must be clear. They're saying to pursue love, and he's saying pursuing love is to build up the church. And as we go through this, and if you compare tongues and prophecy, we can see clearly this principle that our communication in corporate worship must be clear. And so Paul makes this point with a question in verse 6. In verse 6 he says, Now brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you? Unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. Very straightforward. It's a rhetorical question. He's speaking to the church. Speaking to the brothers and sisters. And he says, look, if I, if I come to you speaking in tongues, will you benefit When Boucher be 
Siz Türkçe konuşurken en çok fazla siz hiçbir şey demiyorsunuz. Yeah? And so, if I speak in Turkish, the lot of you here are going to get no benefit whatsoever from the service. And Paul was saying that to people. He said, if I speak in tongues, whether these tongues be the tongues of men that are unknown, or whether these tongues be an angelic tongue, it doesn't matter. It's the fact that the people would not benefit from the tongues that he's making the point. We say, if I bring you some revelation or some knowledge or some prophecy or some teaching, then you'll benefit. The benefit comes from what is being understood. And so the principle is this, the communication in corporate worship in our church services must be clear. There's no point of having someone speaking amazingly in tongues or in another language or preaching in a different language and us not understanding it. We can sit there and be in awe of his mannerisms and the waving of his arms or the way he was so passionate about it. But you just sit there and think, well, what was that? It didn't connect. And so churches need to make sure that whatever they do, it's for the building up of the church. And so that, that means it has to be understood. It has to be understood. All communication in corporate worship in our church service must be clear. And so he has that rhetorical question. He makes his point with a question. And then he goes on to illustrate his point. And so he illustrates this point in verse 7 through to 11. And he goes on to hammer this point home by using uh, three different illustrations. His first one is there in verse 7. Even if lifeless instruments such as the flute of a harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what you played? Children's talk is the example of that, isn't it? But those dear children put so much effort into blowing their trumpets and singing their things, it just was not distinct. It made no sense. If, if I had not played the first trumpet solo, we probably wouldn't have had the 1913 voice. Especially when a whole cacophony came on together. But an instrument needs to be known how to be played to give distinct notes as someone can hear. So you can hear the melodies, you can hear the music, and we need to hear it otherwise it's just a bit of a endless situation. On verse 8 it goes on again, he talks about the bugle, the trumpet, and if it gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle in those days? Uh, the soldiers, and it still happens now. We've been boys, our the army camps. If we do hear the trumpet, the bugle, and they they summons the soldiers out, and they do things like that. And one blast means this, two blasts mean this, and one long blast means that. Paul says, someone comes and says, the soldiers don't know what to do. The, the language has to be understood. If it's not blown correctly, the code is not known. And so the, the, the lookout may have seen danger, he may have told the man, beautiful is danger, and he may have made a noise, there must be some upset. Can't play cards. You can eat my dinner. And then the enemy comes and it's all done. And so it's so important that the language, whether it's the beautiful, whether it's the instant, is heard and understood. Uh, a few weeks ago, quite a few weeks ago, Rachel and I flew out of the new Ajahn Airport, a massively impressive place. And the creative public announcements 
came up to tell us what gate to go to. And it started off well, the people got our attention. And then as the person started talking, because of the cavernous size of this great entity, the echoing came along that it was just so distorted we hadn't got a clue what the person was saying. But there's no benefit in, in this announcement because it just could be discerned by our ears of what was being said. And so Paul brings this application into, into the question the first thing is that so with yourselves that if you have with your tongue you watch a speech that's not intelligible, how will any of what is said? For you'll be speaking into the air. And so he says to his Corinthians, when you come together, when you're worshiping together, and you're talking in tongues, and you're saying stuff, and no one can understand you, it's a waste of your time. It's a waste of your time. You are talking into the air. Because when you are in corporate worship, when you are in a service together, it is for edification, it is for building up. And that doesn't build up, that doesn't bless, that doesn't help. I have to confess that I've been in a in some situation in Nigeria, the, the, the sound systems, I bless you guys, you do a great job, the, the sound systems are ramped up so high that when you speak, the, the person at the back's wig's blown off. <laughs> and no one can make that what's being said. And it's been wasted. And you think, well, why? And what we have is this, this poor speaking uh, and he's not saying that tongues don't speak. He, he doesn't. He says, look, in verse 10, there are doubts many different languages in the world, and God is without meaning. And even if they angelic languages of people talk about it, and the jury is out, you can come to your own conclusion about that. But it has a meaning. Because we know that when someone speaks in tongues, we read earlier in this chapter, that God understands. And so there is a meaning, so it's not a problem with the meaning. The problem in the issue is with the people that are around you, if they cannot hear it. If they don't know the meaning of the language, it will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. And so he's not saying that tongues don't mean. What he is saying is, is if they're not understood there is no corporate benefit to the church that is present. And, and being together in the church is a corporate thing, and there needs to be understanding. And so, as Paul told the Corinthians in chapter 12, verses 2, 12 to 13, he talks about being one body. And as one body, our communication is essential. And if someone speaks in tongues, they're not be understood, and that this cannot be used to build the church up. And being understood is a crucial part of corporate worship. And to speak in tongues that no one else understands is unloving, in the sense and the context of corporate worship. Being selfish. And then there's no part for it. And then the Apostle Paul is being very, very strong. He, he, he's coming to this point. He's coming to this crescendo. And he's telling these Corinthians look, tongues 
as you are using them in the service, is wrong because your brothers and sisters don't understand. Using tongues in the service Corinthians as you are using them is wrong because you're not building up the church. So all communication in corporate worship must be clear. And Paul applies this point. He brings this point to, to what it means to the Corinthians in chapter verses 12 through to 17, he moves on to what they should do about it. And so in verse 12, he brings it again and says, So with yourself, you are eager to manifest for manifestations of the Spirit. For eager to speak in these terms, because then that was a manifestation of the Spirit. He says, Right. He says, Because you are eager to strive to excel in building up the church. That they were eager for the Spirit to work, and that is no bad thing. What Paul says goes beyond it. He goes beyond it. The spiritual gifts will be given primarily to the building up of the church. And so he's exhorting these Corinthians to, to see past the, the spiritual gifts as being the central thing and to see the central thing for what it is, and that is the building up of the church. And so he's exhorting them to strive to excel in the building up of the church. That the building up of the church should be the aim. That is the goal. And the spiritual gifts are the tools. And the building up of the church is coming for being forgotten. And the spiritual gifts became the big thing. And the spiritual gifts are particularly times of what they were called to on about. You say, no. The spiritual gifts are not the aim. The building up of the church is. The building up of the church is so And tragic. When a church is upset in using and manifesting spiritual gifts, so often they've forgotten that their primary call is making of disciples and seeing that the church has been built up. Now he doesn't tell them, he doesn't tell his friends spiritual gifts are important. And he's already started this whole section by saying, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. And that's not the message we're getting. The message we are getting is, Paul is telling us, and he's telling the Corinthians, that we need to use the spiritual gifts correctly in love, so that they can excel in building up the church. Now, he doesn't only apply this is true, but he explains how it can work. And he says in verse 13, Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Why is that important? Well, that was important back then because if someone spoke in tongues in the church setting, it had to be interpreted. And if it's going to be a benefit to others, it even to be a benefit to themselves, they need to know what's being said. And it would seem that, like, current were lots of people ready to speak in tongues. possibly a competition going on to see who could talk the loudest, the fastest, the longest, the greatest, or whatever it was. And this was the benchmark of your spirituality. And, and he said, look, if your tongues are going to be relevant, if tongues are going to edit 
the church, they need to be interpreted. But in fact, they were told that if they were to speak in tongues as part of the worship, it must be translated. Now, now this is my issue with well, modern-day tongue speaking. My, my issue with modern-day tongue speaking is not so much the question whether they're seated or they have. Yeah? And then I, I imagine that within this room we have a difference of opinion. There'll be some people think the tongue speaking see, and there'll be some that think it continues. But that's not what my issue is. I'm not going to make a claim of that. But what I am going to go on to say, that if someone thinks that tongue speaking is relevant, then they and the church that they introduce it correctly as God's word teaches and not as culture or tradition dictate. Many of you have come from a culture of background and you've been in a where tongues are used and everyone's got tongues to And that is not how God tended to use it. Everyone is making a noise together in some sort of hysteria. It is not as God intended it. Not with hysteria as we carry on through this chapter. It says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Now that's quite a statement. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? What's Paul's answer? What was God's answer? What was God saying to the Corinthians then? He said, I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. When the Corinthians were to be praying together, when the Corinthians were singing together, when they were talking, it was to be done in spirit and Mind. The people were to understand and to be understood in worship. You see, this is where we get things so wrong, and this is where we deviate nowadays because corporate worship has become an experience. It's become an experience of an emotional high. And what Paul is saying is no, corporate worship must connect intellectually. Your mind must be engaged with what you're doing. Because if your mind isn't engaged in what you're doing, there is no benefit, there is no growth. You may have a great feeling. You may enjoy the moment. But it hasn't engaged your mind and there's no growth from that. The experience may be a delight. The music may feel wonderful. The emotion may worship you. It could all be a great experience. But it hasn't connected intellectually it's not going to build you up. The truth is what sets you free, not the experience. It's the truth that sets you free. And the truth is articulated in, 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 in vocabulary and language that you can understand. And so these people who, when they are preaching, suddenly break off and shout in tongues for a few moments. What are they doing? What? Are they doing? And they're doing something wrong because 
We as listeners can't understand what they're saying. And it's not for a question. We should be able to understand everything that's been said. We should be able to engage with them all intellectually. And so we worship in spirit and mind. And if our mind is not understanding, then our corporate worship is And if others cannot enter into our worship, their minds, with their minds, their understanding, they're lacking and we are not loving. And he goes on to say this in verse 16. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, so his mind's eye, you've got someone who is giving thanks, yeah, you've got to find this text, you give thanks, the spirit is talking, time to sing, time to whatever it is, and then someone's come along there and they're not understanding quite and they say amen to your thanksgiving when they don't know what you're saying. You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Speaking in tongues in a corporate setting like that is unloving. And so this, this is where my biggest problem with this is. I'm not going to get into the intricacies of this moment of whether tongues are finished or not finished. That's that's another subject for another day in many ways. What I am saying is, this is important, because this is God's word, and if you are in an environment where tongues are used, or if you believe that tongues haven't ceased, this is not God's way of using them. Because we're together as a family. And if someone's praying, you should be able to say, Amen, even so be it, Lord. I'm agreeing with them. And if they're just muttered at half hour terrain and got very excited and all sounded very wonderful, how could you say Amen? We don't understand. Your mind is not engaged. And if the sermon and the message is being preached in it, and then the person goes up with tirade in tongues and you can't understand it, how can you leave in life? You can't. You don't understand it. And even if you clearly know what is being said in your mind, but those around you don't, it's not good enough. They've been left out. They're not able to enter into worship. They're not able to say amen. They're not going to get built up. And, and as we worship together, we have to make sure that the, the people who are with us are able to engage with their minds with what's going on, to engage intellectually. And then, so there are things at LPC that we do and we don't do as part of our population because of this. It's because of this. And this might answer some of the questions you have. Why don't you do that? Because we are here to engage in our minds it's our spirit and our mind together. So, so as a church, we're not here to entertain. Someone a few years ago said, you pass again, he said, you want to fill the church? And he told me how to do it. And it involved a lot of different things that would not engage the mind. And I said, no, the mind is by Christ and Christ Jesus, by in his word, in a way that we want to do everything that will enable you and I 
when we come together to worship, to worship in spirit and in life. Yes, there is a spiritual aspect to our worship. Yes, we need that Holy Spirit. Absolutely. But also we need that to engage with our faith, with our human being. And that's how God works. And God works through our minds. And we need to understand. And when the spirit and the mind engage, friends, that is when there is growth. When the spirit and the mind engage, that's when the fruit of the spirit emerge. That the fruit of the spirit don't emerge out of those other things. They emerge out of that. And so we're going to be unashamedly cautious of things that do not engage our mind in corporate worship. And just for example, we are very careful about what we choose to sing. And we're all careful about what we choose to sing. It's not chosen by this is going to play true. It's not chosen because it sounds good. It's not chosen because it can make people sweat, as some people want to. See, where is the engaging of one's mind when one is sweating? You Africans know what the is. And you white people what's dancing. Yes. Dancing is not engaging your mind. It's engaging function that maybe a white couple that but within our worship, corporate worship of the Lord, our mind needs to be engaged so when we choose the hymns and the songs that we're going to sing here, we are wanting to do it so that our spirit and our mind can be dead, so that there is growth. We we're looking for growth. Now, the gifts were not given for personal enrichment, but for the benefit of others. We, we've seen that in 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Teach is given manifestation before the common good. And in 1 Corinthians 10, verse well, we're told, let no one seek his own good the good of his neighbor. And in 1 Peter chapter 4 and 10, the passage we read earlier, it says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. And our, our, our personal edification and our own, our own being built personally often happens naturally when the unity begins, yeah? So, so, so we can be blessed, so we can feel an emotional excitement. These things are wrong, but they are not the main reason. The main reason is edification. The main reason is building up. And if in the building up and the edification of others, we are blessed. And if in the building up and the edification of others, we do feel that God has spoken to us. We are excited by that. There is a thrill in that. Those things are good, but they are not what it's all about. It's getting it right, and it's for edification. And if those things happen, we can praise God and thank God. But if you're looking for those things, you've got it the wrong way around. All communication in corporate worship must be clear. And lastly, Paul emphasizes this point from his own experience. Verses 18 to 19, Paul says, Look, he has to give tongues. He says, I thank God I speak in tongues. He doesn't believe that. He flexes a bit. He says, More than all of you. Paul could speak more tongues, better tongues, longer tongues, harsher tongues, louder tongues, whatever tongues, than the Corinthians. He's outgunned them. He's outgunned them. I'm the apostle. Like, this is my thing. I can do this. But then he says, nevertheless, in church I'd rather speak five 
words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words with a tongue. So I like to He's underlining this. He's saying this is so, so important to Corinthians. You Corinthians, listen up here. I am, if you like, the king or the apostle of speaking in tongues. I can do it better than all of you, but I'm not going to do it in public worship because public worship is about building all communication in corporate worship must be given. Corporate worship in the church is a place where people have to engage with their minds and their spirits. We have to be careful here because there's some people that engage with their minds and not their spirits. And that's wrong too. We need to be careful that. People are intellectually so caught up in that they academically so caught up that they've lost the soul and the life of the gospel. And that's the wrong end of spiritual And then the other end is so caught up in spiritual things, and then spiritual things that we switch up our things. And that's what's wrong. And then what Paul is saying to the Corinthians is if you're worshipping, it needs to be clear. It needs to be mind and spirit. And Paul goes on later in this chapter to explain what that looks like in life and in service in Corinth. But as we round up, I just want to bring some things to, to a practical application for us now. This principle is important for us that all communication in corporate worship must be clear. This principle is here for us that we need to engage in our minds, in our spirits. And so, friends, don't judge a service or a church by how it makes you feel. Don't judge a church or a service by how it makes you feel, but how it helped you grow. How it pointed to Christ and Christ crucified so you could grow. How it pointed to the awesome wonder nature of the glorious God, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Don't think about how it made you feel. How did it help you grow in your knowledge of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? How did it make you grow in the knowledge of your pitiful, sinful self and that needs to come to us? You need to pray for yourselves that you will put edification and be built up above experience. We live in an experience-driven world. It's all about how it makes you feel and what it does for you. And, and the gospel and God's word and corporate worship and now be built up is not about that. We can thank God for when he does give us joy, and he does. And it's a fruit. But that's not what it's all about. Our edification has been built up is what it's all about. So let's pray that we will put that verse in our life. You need to pray that you will put that verse in your life. And we need to pray as a church that as a church we will put edification and be built up before experience. If we just become an experience-driven church, we are not going to grow. We're not going to have an impact on society. We're not going to be a blessing because that's not what God wants on us. Some of you will be looking for a new church soon. And if you're in that situation of looking for a new church, you move on to somewhere else. Look for a church that engages your mind and your spirit. Ask the people that you put that over there, chant at them, find out if their minds are being engaged or if they just want to build their experience. And conversely, also, it may 
sure that their, their spirit is fed as well. Make sure it's not just about academic and being sort of like Pharisees and being all legalistic. There's a need to. So if you're looking for a new church at any stage, ask God to show you and lead you to the church that will engage your mind and your spirit to go to the church which you're going to grow. So take a step back as you look at that church and say, is this church obsessed by the fruit of the Spirit? Or is this church obsessed by the gifts of the Spirit? A church obsessed by the fruit of the Spirit is going to be a church that's engaged in the of the Spirit. But a church that's obsessed by the, the gifts of the Spirit probably will be a church that's all about the experience. And I say generalization. And if you are involved in any aspect of church life, you have to remember that it's about building up edification. That's the goal. And then the reality is all aspects of service in church life are like that. You may think, well, how does it work? The, the ushers, the goal is to make people welcome, but it's also to an environment where you can connect with your mind and your spirit. Why questions? Why you I should meet people later and easier? So they don't disturb you, so your minds can be better. But why do we have the children often food there? For two reasons. We want them to learn. But also we don't want them to be distracted. We want mind and soul to be able to connect. I think they'd be easy to see Why are we light up? So that you can see and hear us clearly. And this is all about it, isn't it? And so there are things that we turn to and the things that we are doing because we're wanting to people to be built up. We're wanting education, wanting God to be glorified. And it's not about our experience. And so as you are involved in church life, as you are involved in service, it goes back to looking for the high ideas. Are you committed? Missed, I haven't gotten them. Are you committed? To enabling a church to talk about and preach and talk. Are you enabling a church where we can be engaging in mind and spirit in our worship, where this gospel message is clear, clearly proclaimed? So, friends, I want to leave you with a statement again. Don't judge a service or a church by how it makes you feel, but how much you grow. Did it point to the same? Did it grasp the kingdom Or was it all about you? If it's all about you, don't go back. If it's all about God, and the ability to worship in the spirit of